Your foundation is built on solid rock. Yeshua. The rock of our salvation on Solace Radio. So go ahead and open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 14. The first five verses we're going to read. Revelation 14. Then I saw the Lamb standing on Mount Zion. And with him were the 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a sound from heaven like the roar of a mighty ocean wave or the rolling of loud thunder. It was like the sound of many harpists playing together. This great choir sang a wonderful new song in front of the throne of God and before the four living beings and the 24 elders No one could learn this song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. They have kept themselves as pure as virgins, following the Lamb wherever He goes. And they have been purchased from among all the peoples of the earth as a special offering and first fruits to the Lamb. They have told no lies. No lies was found in their tongue. They are without blame. This next chapter that we're going to be reading today, chapter 14, it says, And then I saw, is actually out of place. It really doesn't belong here in the, so, you know, something like the chronology of the book of Revelation. We've gone over that. It doesn't really, it's really a telescopic vision of, of the end of time. And in this chapter, we see three amazing aspects of the work of our God. We're going to see worship, proclamation, and holiness is an extraordinarily important chapter in this book. And it is placed here for your benefit, for my benefit. Because after the horrors that we saw in the last several chapters of the great dragon and the two beasts, deception, vileness, corruption, coercion, lying, hypocrisy, forced worship, this chapter is like a bomb of Gilead, like a bomb from heaven. B-A-L-M bomb. The B-O-M-Bs come from the earth. You know, I was thinking about this. Does anybody watch the news? Does anybody ever feel like you need to take a shower after you watch the news? Or a cleansing bath? Or just stay in a steam room for about the next two weeks and just get all that out of you? The vileness, the garbage that we see around us, the lies, the murder. I mean, if you, I'm not going to go into it. I was going to do a PowerPoint and I want to show you this stuff. You know it. You've seen it. It's everywhere. This is like the wonderful cleansing shower after the awfulness of what we've read in the last several chapters of the deception at the end of time as the unholy trinity deceives the world, drives the world into false worship and leads most of the nations, most of the world down the path to ultimate and total destruction. But in this chapter, now we saw the unholy Triad, in the last several chapters of the dragon, the two beasts. We have three wonderful answers. They were the problems, big problems. We have three extraordinary solutions given to us in this chapter. Number one, which we're going to look at today, is worship. Number two is proclamation of God's word. And number three is holy living. That's all you need to know. And it's in this chapter. And God gives it to us here, I said, as a special present. Because after you've read the last several chapters, you need something. You need something to redeem you from all of that vileness. And God gives it to us wrapped in this wonderful present of this wonderful version and picture of the 144,000 worshiping and singing a new song. How we need it. I always like to tell the story of how how when Carol first got saved, she came out of Catholic school. She, She knew something about the New Testament and the Bible. And when she became a brand new believer, you know, I noticed she was reading the book of Revelation. You know, most new believers don't read the book of Revelation. She went right to the book of Revelation. She's a very practical person. She's an accountant. She says, I want to find out how this ends. I want to see, I want to know now how this is going to end. I want to know where I'm going. That's what this chapter is telling us. Folks, this is how it's going to end. Part of how it's going to end. The good guys... I hate Hollywood endings, but here the good guys win. The good guys, the really good guys win and are blessed. And we're going to see that here. So after the 
the terrors of what he had just beheld and what he just relayed to us. He says to us in chapter, in the first verse, he says, And then I saw the Lamb. Get your eyes off that other stuff. The first place this anointed writer takes is going to and takes us is the Lamb. He's saying about the lion and the lamb. Take your eyes off the other stuff and put your eyes on him. Here is the Lamb of God, seated on the throne. He goes, Hineni, really in Hebrew he's saying this. Behold, as I've said before, the word Hineni is always a supernatural vision. It's vision over your visibility. I beheld in the Spirit. And the supernatural, miraculously, the Lamb. So we have this wonderful picture here of the Lamb of God. And to, to this anointed writer, Yochanan, the Lamb of God has incredible significance. The Lamb of God. He knows of the Lamb of God from the Passover deliverance. Take for yourselves a spotless sacrifice, a lamb from the, from the, from the, from the, from the sheepfold and slay him. And when I see the blood of that lamb, I will pass over you and no harmful plague will touch you. The lamb of God of Isaiah 53, he was led like a a lamb unto the slaughter. All of these things, remember, go through the head of this anointed writer as it should with us. The history of the lamb. We know how this lamb means deliverance for God's people. This lamb has a history. When he walked on the face of the earth, the one who introduced him to all of Israel and the rest of the world, he was introduced as, Behold, the Lamb of God is coming down here to be baptized by me. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, who cleanses us all, who delivers us all. Behold, the Lamb. And that's what he has to do after what he's just seen. He has to behold the Lamb. How important it is for us, whatever we're going through. Get our eyes off of the stuff around us. The stuff even going on inside. And behold the Lamb. Where is the Lamb? The Lamb of God is standing. Victorious. Triumphant. He's not standing over New York City. He's not standing over the United States. Or Chicago, or Los Angeles, or any of the European, or any of the nations. He's standing on Mount Zion. He is standing triumphant where all of God's righteous saints have wanted to see him since time immemorial. The psalmist said, but as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. Psalm 48, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, his holy mountain. Beautiful in elevation, the joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion in the far north. The city where he belongs. The city of our great king. Every saint, all the believers through all of history in the synagogue today, they pray, O Lord, return to Zion. Rebuild your temple and come to be with us on Mount Zion. The writer to the Hebrews writing to the Messianic Jews of the first century, who was some of them going back to the old liturgical ways and their old, their old religion and, and turning away from the Messiah. He wrote to them, you've not come in Hebrews 12:18. You've not come to a physical mountain, to a place flaming, to a flaming fire, darkness and gloom of whirlwind. And the, and the Israelites at Mount Sinai said, stay away from us. No, you have come to Mount Zion. You've come to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to countless thousands of angels in joyful gathering. You've come to the assembly of God's firstborn children whose names are written in heaven. You've come to God Himself who is the judge over all things. You have come to the spirits of the righteous ones in heaven. You've come to Yeshua, the one who mediates a new covenant between God and His people. And the spiritual blood which speaks of forgiveness. This is where we are longing to be. All of God's people with Him on Mount Zion. And here, the anointed writer of this book reminds us that He will be standing on Mount Zion. But He won't be there alone. No. Because right here, right now we see, it says, what else did He see? With Him were the 144,000 who had His name 
and his father's name written on their foreheads. The 144,000 from seven chapters back who God had anointed and put his mark on them. Remember in the chapter right before, we also talked about another mark, didn't we? A mark that you don't want to have to take ever or no one should be involved in. This is in contrast to that mark. This is the Father's seal on their foreheads. And it's significant because when he put his seal on them before all of this horror began, when he put his seal on 144,000 Jewish young men, we told their virgins they kept away from they kept away from 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 profanity and idolatry and adultery. I don't know where those hundred forty four thousand are now. I don't think they live on the earth yet. But they were young virgins. They were pure in God's sight. They kept themselves away from anything that was impure. And God anointed them. God put His seal upon them. And then all the horrors of the next seven chapters or six chapters of this book. And you think, oh my God, if you look back, you think, well, what happened to them? And you see here, there's not 143,399 there. They're all there. Every single one of them is delivered by God from the time of His sealing to be standing at the end on Mount Zion with Him. 12,000 from each tribe. 144,000. And they're not Jehovah's Witnesses, folks. They got names like Lieberman and Goldstein. And so I don't think they're Jehovah's Witnesses. They're sealed of the tribes. There's nothing symbolic about that. They are the greatest evangelists that up to that time the world has ever seen. And yet with that great evangelism in these last days, even of their amazing supernatural abilities, very few at this point are saved. That's why later in this chapter... One of the angels has to go and proclaim once again a last time the eternal gospel of salvation for a last call to humanity. But these 144,000 are there. The Lord watches over his people. The Lord keeps them. In Psalm 37, at the very end of the psalm, it says, The salvation of the righteous comes from the Lord. He is their stronghold in time of trouble. The Lord helps them through all of those things and he delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and He saves them because they have taken refuge in Him. These 144,000 are a proof text of that into the future to us. That through all of those things, we haven't gone through nothing. Nothing like what they've gone through. Oh my God, am I going to make it through this day? Oh my God, how am I going to get out there and with all this stuff going on? This is just a mere shadow, a prelude of what will be seen in these last days. If God can keep them, He can keep you. If God can keep them through all of those things, He can keep you and I. And He will if we take refuge in Him. Let's go back and take a look. See who they were. Chapter 7, verse 1. After this I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth so that no wind would blow on the earth or on the sea or on any tree. I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun, having the seal of the living God. And he cried out with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm all of the earth and all of the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea. Do not harm the trees until we have sealed the bondservants of our God on their foreheads. If God seals you and watches over you, all of those things, none none of those things, rather, can touch you. He says, hold back the four winds. Hold back the tempest. Hold back all of those things that are going to come upon the unbelievers of the earth. The beginning of the seals happens here. But God says, hold it back until I've protected my own. What a God that is. And then we see them later on, every single one of them intact. On Mount Zion, with their Lamb, with their Messiah. He's there with them. And I heard from heaven, verse 2, the sound of many waters and the sound of loud thunder. What? Chapter 14, back to verse 2. I heard a voice from heaven, like the sound of many waters, and like the sound of loud thunder. John wants us to know that he is familiar with this voice. 
John wants us to know that he knows this voice. Even though it's a loud thunder and it's scary and it sounds like hundreds of shofars, he knows this voice. This is a reiteration of what the Lord showed us in the very first chapter when John first sees and hears his Lord. And he said in, in chapter 1, verse 10, John speaking, Revelation 1.10, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice, like the sound of shofar blasting, saying, write in a book what you see, and send it to the seven churches. His feet were like burnished bronze when it had been made to glow in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of many waters. When this lion thunders and roars, it can be very scary. It can scare people away. It's the way it is with the Lord. He does not play games with us. It says in the scripture, our God is a consuming fire. You come into contact with him. You're coming into contact. This is not some cherub on some, some Christmas cards or Valentine's Day cards. This is the living God and every one of his holy ones and prophets who ever saw him or heard him when they confronted with him. Even holier ones than you or I could ever be. They fell on their faces as if dead when they beheld him. The voice of many thunders, the voice of great lightning, like the sound on Sinai, which we're going to be looking at in Shavuot. Very similar to the sound of the trumpets and the, and the thunder. And the lightning blast when the law was given to us. This is the same God. This is the same God. It's not little Jesus meek and mild on Christmas cards. This is the mighty God who is there to deliver you and me. These 144,000 and all of us for what is going to be coming down in the future. And then what happens after that? He says, And the voice which I heard was like the voice of the sound of harpists playing on their harps. And they, the 144,000, sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders. And no one could learn that song except the 144,000 who'd been purchased from the earth. What is their response to God's deliverance, to the Lord's bringing them through all of these things? To be standing with him. At, just remember, there's a telescopic vision of the end of the end. And they're there. And what are they doing at the very end? They're still worshiping, adoring him, thanking him. But they're not giving him an old song that we've heard before. This is not from the common book of hymns or, or, or even some, some Jewish liturgical song. This is a new song. It's a song that we're told that only they could learn. Only they knew. And that's okay. Don't try to figure it out. You know why? Because you also are supposed to have a new song. We're all supposed to have a new song. The word in the Greek means qualitatively new. It's not just like, I didn't sing this song yesterday. It means it's fresh. It's brand new. It's different. And it's given to you. It's given to me. My teacher was a man named Derek Prince. And Derek Prince always used to say, whenever the Lord brings you through a new and miraculous event in your life and brings you to a new place, He will give to you a new song to sing. A new song. Not the old song, but a new song. We see it over and over again through the Scriptures. They had a new song. It's amazing. There's about five different groups of, of, of people groups and, and, and people that come out of the tribulation and believers in the church and they're all, all of them, it's interesting, in the book of Revelation, they all have their own song to sing. They all have their own worship song which they offer unto the Lord. They're given a new song specifically geared to them. That's the way it's supposed to be with us. He wants to give you a new song. It's geared to you. It's a new song. When he brings you through something, he wants to teach you that song. Isaiah 42, 9 says, Behold, the former things have come and they're passed away. A new thing I declare to you. Before they spring, spring forth, I tell them of you. New, brand new. Not something old and it's been done before. God wants to give you something new in your life. That's what he's teaching us here. 
Revelation 5, 9. Those that came out of the tribulation. It says, we'll start back at 7. 5, 7 says, And he came and he took the book out of the right hand. We read this before. Of him who sat on the throne. This is 5, 7, 5, 8. When he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the 24 elders all found, fell down before the Lamb, each one holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new, qualitatively new song, never been heard before, saying, Worthy are you to take the book, to break the seals, for you were slain, and you purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe, tongue, and people, and nation. And you have made them to be a kingdom of priests to our God, and they shall reign upon the earth. Always a new song whenever he does something new in your life, in my life. Great and marvelous, it sings later. They take the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb, they put the two together, and they come up with a new song again. It says, Great and marvelous are your works, O Lord God the Almighty. Righteous and true are all your ways. Who will not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy, and all the nations will come and worship before you. For your righteous acts have been revealed. It's exactly what the Lord God wants to speak to us. A new song. From whatever he's brought you or I out of, or is going to deliver us from, he wants to put a song of praise, of adoration, into our mouths, from our hearts. That's what this 144,000 learned. That's what the believers who came out of the tribulation learned. That's what the, what the, what the, what the martyrs learned. That's what the four living, the, even the four living creatures and the 24 elders, that he gave them all a new song. David over and over again in the psalm says, You have given me a new song after every deliverance. You've given me a new song to sing. Quantitatively new. 150 psalms. Quantitatively new. Psalm 40 speaks very clearly of this. It's one of my favorite psalms. It says, I waited patiently. David has just gone through extraordinary stuff. I waited patiently for the Lord to help me. He turned to me and he heard, heard my cry. He lifted me up out of the pit of disaster, out of the mud and the mire. In Hebrew, it's different, it's worse. The mud and the mire. He set my feet on solid ground and he steadied me as I walked along this new path. And he has given me a new song to sing, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see what he has done and be amazed and they will put their trust in the Lord. Has he put a new song in your life? Do you need to hear that new song? Has he delivered you? Are you going through something? Is there something you need to be delivered from? Is there, is there something in your life that you want to see the Lord deliver you from? That you're longing for that new song? I think that, that speaks to all of us. And if it's not today, think about this in the future. And remember, the 144,000 that he put his seal on, having the name of the Father in their foreheads, in their minds, he delivers them, and they stand next to the Lamb, the one who delivers and brings redemption to, cleanses and heals, and gives them a new song which no one else can learn. God knows each one of us individually. He knows exactly which group you or I belong to. He knows exactly where we're at. He knows exactly where we should be. And he wants to put that song of praise and adoration and new song in our hearts. As I said earlier, in Yeshua's prayer for the disciples, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed, sanctified be thy name. Thy will be done. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Every time we peek into the heavenlies, a new group is singing a new group of songs. A new group is worshiping the Lord. It's the business of heaven. And you know what the Lord says in that prayer? Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I pity those people who always come in here after the worship is over. I'm sorry, people. But if you're missing the worship, you're missing it. Shame on you. I don't like to shame people, but think about it. You know, A.W. Tozer, one of the great men of faith of, of our time, of all time, of the century, said he called worship the missing jewel of the evangelical church. 
Because whenever he went to church, they were just reading out of hymnals and all this kind of nonsense and just dead stuff. And he said, it's the missing jewel in our lives. Worship on earth as it is in heaven. And if you're not worshiping him on earth as it is in heaven, you're not in his will. Thy will be done. There's no wiggle room there. That's the will of God for us to worship him, to find that new song and to sing unto him all the earth. Let's go ahead and stand together. I waited patiently for the Lord to help me. He lifted me out of the pit of despair. He gave me a new song to sing, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see what he has done and be amazed. Thank you, Father. Father, I just thank you so much that you desire to put that song in our hearts. What a good God you are. That you don't just just have us write you just a thank you note, just a, a note of appreciation, but a thank you song. A worship song, a hymn unto you, a joyous hymn, a new hymn of thanksgiving for your deliverance, for who you are, God. Nothing weak or superficial about that. It is to come from our very, very kishkis, as we say. Okay? Depends on which part of Brooklyn Bridge you're from there again. But that's where it's supposed to come from. Our very being. That new song that he has for us. Father God, I just pray, Lord God, that you will put that new song into our hearts as we sing unto you, Lord God, this wonderful song of revelation of the Lion and the Lamb. Talk to our hearts, Lord God. If there's anyone here that needs prayer, our prayer team will be up here for you to pray with them. And we will be glad to pray with you and, and, and worship with you and hopefully bring his, his solace, a, a taste of his deliverance as you seek him into your lives and give them that new song in Yeshua's name. Thank you, Lord. Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, you shall tell this to the people of Israel, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice, keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Thank you, Lord God. We are to be that kingdom of priests, bringing adoration and worship and drawing all people to the King of Kings, the one who stands on Mount Zion victorious. Thank you, Lord God. 
Bring your people, Lord God, as you promised. Seal them in your love, Lord God, and keep them, Father God, unto that day. Father God, I pray that the work that you have begun in each one of our lives, Lord God, you, for you can only do it, only you will bring that life to absolute fruition and to your perfect purpose that we may stand in your presence on that day. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Well, Philippe was talking about rebelliousness, lawlessness, and how it began in the garden, and we saw an extraordinary uh, manifestation of it in the Torah portion, in the Parsha, in the life of, of Korah, and those that he led into rebellion. Well, we're in the book of Revelation right now. The last couple of chapters that we've looked at, chapters 12 and 13, speak of the consummation, the final manifestation, really, of that rebellion. The man of lawlessness without the law. The man that we call Antichrist. He goes by many, many names. In 12 and 13 we saw him as the dragon. The great dragon who made war with God's people. And the beast, the Antichrist, raised up in the last days. Vivid descriptions of horror and rebelliousness. But worse than that, not just a small portion of the world's population following after this liar, deceiver, this man of lawlessness, but basically the whole world, the whole population of the world, the media, governments, politics, people that write your newspapers, people that write your books, people that are there to inform you Lies, lies, deception, leading ultimately to total rebellion against God, His Son, and His Kingdom. The Lord is gracious and merciful. And in chapter 14, which we are in right now, He gracefully gives us a respite, a beautiful picture of what is to come in the future. It's actually out of chronological context, much of the book is. But I believe he puts it there as a grace note for us. He telescopes us way into the future, really into the end of the book, beyond chapter 14. So that we can, after we've tasted of all this disgust and horror and lies and deceit, he lets us know he's still in charge. Can I have this first slide, please? This chapter, he lets us know he's looking for a few good men, a few strong men, a few holy men, a few godly men. He tells us how these people are to live in this extraordinary chapter, one of the most important chapters of the Scriptures. A, friend, a young man visiting us today was saying, it's, it's a hard book to understand, it is. But I urge you, as, as Philippe was urging us, to read the Torah. Read this book. In the 60s we used to say, burn this book. But here I tell you, don't do anything like that, but consume this book. In this chapter, we see first of all the Lamb, the Lamb of God on His holy hill, with just a portion of those that He's redeemed, what we call the 144,000 of Israel that He's redeemed. We le he lets us know He can hold he can redeem. He can bring through the most horrible tribulation that the world has ever known. He can rescue and redeem His people, and He will. And He lets us know that. And He shows us in this chapter how important it is to have righteousness, to be among those holy people. And He shows us how we can live that kind of a life or those kind of lives. He holds us. He saves us. First thing He shows us is worship. Absolutely essential. Tozer, great teacher in the church, said, It is the missing jewel. If you've ever been to a church, 
Sometimes you say, where's the worship? We pray that our worship is not going to be a missing jewel, but it will be a centerpiece of what we're about. The essentialness. That's the first thing we see in these 144,000. We talked about it a couple of weeks ago. How they have a new song. The heavens are filled with worship. Thankfulness. And I urge you, if you get here late, if you, if you make it a habit to be here after the worship, you're missing it. Because it is the door that, it's the, it's what opens the door, if you're here, to receive of the Lord. Worship. Second thing he shows us in this chapter is holy living. The importance of a holy lifestyle. As, as, as Philippe was saying, a life lived filled with light in front of the darkness that's around them. There's a great contrast between these redeemed and what we saw in the previous chapters. And that is holy, righteous living. Because they're redeemed. He had His hand on them. He redeemed them. Then we see in this chapter, worship, holy living, proclamation. Proclamation of God's Word. The angelic... The world has disregarded at this point the two great witnesses who miraculously are seen by all of the the world. CNN, whatever it is. But they're there. We talked about them. And they proclaim God's message. And the world rejects them. The 144,000 who proclaim the gospel of the Lord. And the world rejects them. And even with that, the Lord says, okay, I'll send angelic hosts. They will be in the mid-heavens like in the sun at the same level as the sunshine. And they will proclaim the eternal gospel. How He loves us. How He desires for us to hear the truth and to be redeemed. To be saved. Proclamation of the Word. And hearing of the Word. And finally, judgment at the end of this chapter. The wrath of God. Holy living. Have the next slide. Noah was a righteous man in his generation. Noah was chosen out of his entire generation as a righteous one to stand out against all of the of the idolatry and the violence and the sinfulness of his time. He was righteous. Next slide. This man Abraham was under the stars and had a confrontation with God. And God spoke to him and said, you're my son. You're my chosen vessel. And because you have believed me, your faith is going to make you 100% righteous. 100% righteous. Abraham believed the Lord, we're told in the Torah, Genesis 15. Abraham believed the Lord. Well, this is such earlier. He took him outside. God took him outside. And he said to Abraham, look up at the sky, Abraham. Count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And Abraham believed the Lord, and the Lord counted it to him as absolute righteousness. That is where we get our righteousness from. It comes from the Torah. It comes from the understanding that is by faith. But faith that is not dead Works itself out. Can I have the next slide, please? His faith was being perfected. That's what really righteousness is all about. That's what being called righteous and blameless by God means. It's a working out of God's righteousness. From under the stars to the top of that mount where he was willing because he trusted God. And he knew God was able to fulfill his promise He worked out his faith through this righteous act at the very end of his life. Next slide. The 144,000 that God has redeemed. Revelation 14.4 These are the ones who have not been defiled with women, for they have kept themselves pure. They have kept themselves chaste. Now, we don't know what their absolute purity and chasteness really means. People you know, dispute that. They say maybe it's figurative. Maybe they were blameless because he covered them with his love and his righteousness. You know, the Lord calls Israel the virgin daughter of my people. 
They were not exactly a virgin daughter at all points. But that's how the Lord saw them. That's how the Lord sees them. That's how the Lord sees us when we put our trust in Him. They were blameless in His sight as, 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 as Noah was. Noah wasn't a perfect man. Neither was Abraham. Neither was David. But the Lord said about all of them, they were blameless and they were righteous. And that's how He sees us as His children. The 144,000 are a picture of those of us who are here right now. Because we're His children. We're His chosen. If you belong to him, he's called you for a specific purpose. Works in progress. These are the ones who have not been defiled with women. How does that happen? Revelation 7.3, when we first met them, it said, speaking about these and the rest of the earth, in Revelation it says, Do not harm the earth or the sea, the angel speaking, or the trees until we have sealed the bond servants of our God on their foreheads. They had the seal of God on them. If you are his, you too have that seal. In their mouth was found no lie, and they are blameless. Now, what's really interesting is, in the last days, when these 144,000 are alive on the face of the earth, when these 144,000 are sealed, in the midst of, as I said earlier, the the fullness of all the rebellion that has come before it, the fullness of all the idolatry, state-sanctioned religious pornography and prostitution, like what John saw from Patmos and what existed in his time, is going to be even worse in our day. When all religions become one and they're all defiled, when all politics and governments become one, and you're legally bound to believe them and to follow them and to maybe even worship who they tell you to worship. Because that's what we saw in Revelation 12 and 13. That's where this is all heading. They remained in contrast, in contradistinction to all the filth around them. They were the distinctive light and the only light of the earth. You have to be contradistinction to what's out there. I have to be a contradistinction. People have to be able to say there is something really different about those people. They're not just cuckoo Michiganers or Messianics or whatever, but they have something of substance. They have something to proclaim to me of the truth and of hope and lives that I can look at and say are different. Different. Do not harm them. No matter what you go through, The promise to them is the same as the promise to us. Earlier in this book, when we read the letters to the churches from the Lord Himself, it says in Revelation 3 and 12. Now these were people that were going, undergoing incredible stuff that we haven't even begun. Begun may be the operative word here. Begun to see from the government and from religion. In Revelation 3.12 it says, Lord speaking, to he, to the one who overcomes, Lord speaking, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. And this one will not go out from it anymore. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God. I will give them all a new name. They will be the pillars of God's truth and God's holiness and God's righteousness. They pass through the tribulation. They pass through the tribulation because He has sealed them. His promise is sure. No matter what we are going through, His promise is sure. And you can be assured that what you and I, what we are going through, is only a shadow, a mere shadow of what they have to go through. But He's preparing a people to be strong. The faithful remnant in Malachi 3.16, beautiful scripture, it says, Then all those who feared the Lord, they talked, they spoke once among another. And the Lord heard them. He listened. And a scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared him and honored his name. And the Lord said, on the day when I act, they will be my treasured possession, my segula. They will be my treasured ones that I watch over. I will spare them. As a father has compassion, 
and he spares his son who serves him, and you will again see the distinction, the contradistinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. We are supposed to be a people of distinctiveness, of difference, of all that's around. That's really what this book is about. The two cities, the two lives, the two different ones who we follow and who the world follows after. These are the ones who have not been defiled with women, Revelation 14, 14. They've kept themselves pure. These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. They follow the Lamb wherever He goes. That is what makes them different. They don't follow another voice. They don't follow after people who have a certain kind of opinion. They know what their shepherd, their lamb, is telling them to do, and they do it. These are the ones who follow the lamb. That's what this chapter is all about. It begins with the lamb. It begins with the lamb and his people, and it ends with the Son of Man returning with those people at the very end. These are the ones who follow him. Who are these ones? They are the ones who have been purchased from among men. Have you been purchased? You know what it means to be purchased? In the marketplace, when there's many goods, it's like a flea market of the world. That's what the word in Greek really means. It's like a flea market out there. And there's all kinds of stuff, and there's cheap stuff, and there's expensive stuff, and there's deceptive stuff. And the Lord God goes through that flea market, and He says, I want that. I want that one. And I want that one. This one is going to be mine. I'm going to purchase this one, and this one is going to be my... Not just something I'm just going to throw in a, in, in a garage somewhere. But this one that I've purchased is now going to be my treasured possession. Different kind of any flea market that I ever been to. But treasured possession. He finds you in this world. He chooses you and he purchased you. You know the story? He purchased you with a price. You're purchased, you're bought. Purchased with the death of his son. The Lamb of God who's on this mountain. It took His Son, the Lamb of God, to purchase each one of us. Not silver, not gold, not fine people's opinion, but the very blood of His only begotten Son. He purchased us. We're purchased for a purpose. In their mouths was found no lies, for they are blameless before Him. Next slide. Three angels come. Three angels come to speak the eternal gospel and to give really what is the last call to the earth. This is the last chance that the earth is going to have. Remember, this is a telescope to the end. So he has the 144,000 proclaiming. Then he has these angelic beings and voices that all the world in every tongue can understand. So no one has an excuse Revelation 14.6, John says, Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead. Remember, this is a vision into the future. He had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who are the earth dwellers. To every nation, tribe, and language, and people. And he says with a loud voice to the rest of those who are there, Fear God, give Him the glory, Because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heaven and the earth, the sea and the springs of water. I think Yeshua referred to this in what we've studied in the past, Matthew 24, which is the last words of the prophetic word of Yeshua in Matthew 24, when he gives us kind of a, kind of a, 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 a synopsis of all of these things. Yeshua said to his disciples, And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Matthew 24, 14. That's what this is. This is the last word. This is the earth's last chance. The eternal gospel. Fear God. Worship Him. Give Him glory. The hour of judgment has come. God is so patient. God is amazing. Much more patient than any of us could ever be with this world out there. You know, I've, I've got this uh, singer that I love, and he's a, he's, a, he's a believer, and he sings Christian blues and gospel, and he says, if I had my way, I would tear this city down. And sometimes we feel like that. 
If I had my way, I would tear it down. If I had my way, I'd say it's over. God's not like that. God is patient. It'll be torn down. Believe me, it'll be torn down. But in his time, next slide, there's plenty to tear down. There's a government around us that's rising up. And I believe that's much of what God is speaking about. Believe that Babylon is going to fall. That's the next message the second angel has for mankind. First, we have the good news. The good news is fear God, trust Him, worship Him. You have that choice. In the last days, you have that choice. Right now, we have that choice. You know, sometimes we water down the gospel. In these three angels, we hear the fullness of the gospel. People don't like to talk about some of this stuff. But the second angel says, Babylon is about to fall. Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, which made all the nations drink of the maddening wine of her adulteries, of her filth, of her lies, of her deception. The whole world has drunk from that cup. You know, Yeshua had a confrontation in Luke chapter 4 with the one who is the ruler of this age. Yeshua didn't deny it. In the wilderness, just baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit, the Lord, his Father, sends him, drives him, it says in Mark, drives him into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil for 40 days. One of the temptations that the devil proposes to our Lord is this. In Luke chapter 4, verse 5, it says, The devil led him to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of this world. And he said to him, I will, devil speaking to Yeshua, I will give you all their authority and splendor, for it has been given to me, and I give it to anyone I want to, if you worship me. It all, Yeshua will be yours. Yeshua said, Worship the Lord your God, and Him only shall you serve. He didn't deny that Satan had the authority, the power, the ability to give all of those things. Yeshua said, I will not bow down to you. My kingdom is not of this world. Babylon is falling Don't put your faith, your hope, your trust, your foundation on it. It ain't going to be here much longer. We don't know how that's going to work itself out, but it's coming. It's coming. And the Lord is saying, prepare yourself for these things. Be prepared. You're going to see things crumbling before you that you never ever would have thought could have been possible. I was talking to an older guy about the ways of the 40s and the 50s. Okay? And you won't believe the stories that they have. You know, what do they call them? The great generation, the great, you know, those guys, you know, those Second World War guys, what they saw and what they lived in their lives compared to what they see now. These are people that can really see the difference. To us, it just kind of happens slowly. You know, this change, this corruption, just kind of, it's like, you know, the, the image of the of the of the frog, you know, in the boiler in the pot of water, where the heat is just kind of turned up slowly, little by little by little, imperceptibly, and then your frog legs on somebody's plate, your frog soup, because they just turn it up slowly. And the things that we accept, turn on, turn on the media, turn on what they call family hour, used to be called. Was that from 8 o'clock to 10 o'clock? Or 8 to 7 to 9 on the, the networks? Just turn it on sometime. It's literally blood-curdling. It's unreal. Things that are absolutely abhorrent to God that 20, 20 years ago would have been unheard of are now acceptable. And your kids and my kids are in that totally consumed, living in that environment. Babylon is falling. And the third angel... Verse 9, followed the first two and said in a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image, if anyone receives the mark on their forehead or on their hand, they too will drink the wine of God's fury, which has been poured out full strength 
into the cup of his wrath. They'll be tormented. This is part of the gospel. They will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the Lamb. This is a God-ordained proclamation. These angels are speaking the very words of God, the last words to the earth. Things we don't want to hear in church or anywhere else. We don't want to deal with that side of it because it's hellfire and brimstone or whatever. It's a reality. If you don't warn people, they can be those frog legs. They will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever. That's not my commentary. That's what it says. There will be no rest, day or night, for those who worship the beast and its image or for anyone who receives the mark of his name. This calls for patient endurance on the part of the people of God, those who keep his commands and those who remain faithful to Yeshua. This calls for patient endurance. Patient endurance. Okay, the next slide. You know, sometimes we see pictures like this on the news of different parts of the world that are in flames, where hunger, where war is, where people's lives are being destroyed and their governments could care less. And they just send more and more military in to destroy people, to kill people, to starve people, to turn women into chattel and slaves, prostitutes at, at nine and ten years old. And the world just lets it go on. And then the United Nations has another conference. And it just goes on and on. Until we're so immune to it that it doesn't even bother us anymore. This is the beginning of what we're going to be seeing throughout the earth. The last slide. Next slide, please. Next slide. Then I heard a voice from heaven saying, Blessed are those who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit. That's verse 13. I heard a voice saying, Blessed are those, the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit. They will rest from their labor and their deeds will follow them. The Lord holds out a hand. He holds out a hand throughout all of eternity. From the very beginning of time to the very end of time. His hand is extended. It's not too short to save, it says. It says, I saw no one who was righteous, no, not one. So his own arm worked salvation for him. He sent his own strength, his own arm, his own representative, his own very own self to work salvation and hold out the arm, the extension of his great salvation. Be saved. Be redeemed. Be purchased. Don't go down in the flames of this world. Don't be consumed by it or deceived by it. It's passing. It's passing. The Lord wants us to live different kinds of lives. Next slide. So we can proclaim His light to all of the earth. That's why we're here. The 144,000 and those at the end of time are a picture, a picture of where we're to be. And we're to learn from it. The Lord wants us to be able to worship Him. To live holy lives before Him. To be different. And to proclaim to the earth in these last days that His hand is not too short to save. And there is something to be saved from. It's not something like it's not that bad or it's just not too... It's not... It's awful. It's like when the lid is taken off and the veil is taken off and people see the reality of what's really out there. We pray that the Lord will open our eyes and will reach out to Him, to the One who is able to redeem us, to purchase us, because that's His purpose. Let's go ahead and stand together. All the world's systems are rapidly decaying. You don't have to be a theologian to see that. You don't have to be a philosopher to see that. You just have to pick up the newspaper and see what's happening around us. Can I have the worship team come up? We'll sing one more song. We want to pray first. If anyone is here who wants to reach out as he's reaching out right now to you, reach out because you need him more desperately. If you're thirsty for him, if you've never come to know him, if your life is empty, of the reality of who He is. Today, it says, is the acceptable day of your salvation. Today, if you hear His voice, 
Do not harden your hearts. As they did in the time of rebellion, they hardened their hearts. Come to him today. We have our prayer team up here to pray with you as we sing. These are the days of Elijah. These are the last days His holiness is being proclaimed. Our foundation is built on solid rock. Yes, you are. The rock of our salvation on Solace Radio.